0: I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the Southwest Bujara region in Noongar Buja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters, and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to Men, Sex, and Pleasure. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And on today's episode, episode number 98, I have the pleasure of chatting with Alex Holmes. Alex is a London-based writer, mental health specialist, and trainee existential psychotherapist. In 2021, he won the Creative Impact Award for best mental health awareness for his writing and conversations on mental health. He was also featured among Positive News' 20 Mental Health Leaders Supporting the Nation's Well-Being. His debut book is titled Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging, and Connection. Alex writes a weekly publication called Liminalities, interviewing writers and thinkers on mental health and life transitions, and exploring the human condition one sentence at a time. He is also the founder and creator of the leading podcast, Time to Talk with Alex Holmes, highly commended by British GQ as a top podcast for 2020 and also 2021. And you can find Alex on his website, which is alexholmes.co or on Instagram, which is at by Alex Holmes. And there's also a link to Alex's podcast called Time to Talk in the show notes. In this episode, the two of us talk about his book, We discuss some of the chapters, uh, particularly uh, what Alex refers to as the quote unquote real man myths, including real men are fearless go-getters and real men have no worries about their bodies. We dive deep into some of these and I share with Alex some of my own uh, observations about myths of masculinity and myths about what it means to be a man we had a, a have a bit of a back and forth between uh the two of us so super enjoyable conversation had a really great time chatting with alex and i hope you enjoy listening when a boy is between the ages of 13 and 16 the testes begin to produce sperm cells the old contraceptive uh the condom it's uh, wrapped in rather a sort of crinkly paper and let's be straightforward about this i'm not
1: here to make a moral judgment but you and i know that it was contracted through sexual intercourse
0: with an infected person uh, well the way that i like to start is by inviting my guests to share a little bit about themselves a little bit about the work they do and what they're really passionate about. So I want to just pitch that to you, man, and give you the floor for a couple of minutes to share about who you are, what you do and what your passions are.
1: Who, who am I?
0: What I do and what my
1: passions are. So who I am, um, I'm Alex Holmes. Um, I am an existential coach. I'm um, a trainee psychotherapist. I'm an author and a podcast host. Um, I do it because I'm really interested and curious, but I'm interested in how we operate and navigate the world as people. Um, Everything I do, I ask big questions. I ask why we do the things we do. And I'm always interested into figuring out what that means for for us, um, especially as men, you know, what that means for us as men, like what it means to be a man today, specifically, but also, um, I'm in a wider interrogation as to what it means to be human. I think I've got a huge kind of um, curious, curious landscape that I'm trying to navigate right about now. Um, I'm seeing far too much disconnection and discontent across the world, um, globally and locally, and just personally with between people. And yeah, I'm just I'm just curious. I'm just a curious guy that is very that just wants to kind of make a difference and um, help people, um, and in the, and in so doing, help myself at the same time and just meet new people and just keep it keep it going and keep it moving. That's pretty much me. In a short sum, I'm sure we'll get into more stuff, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing that, dude. And I guess like my, um, I know you kind of share this a little bit in your book, but I'm I'm curious about like the. Your foray into like this work, into like existential coaching, and and then writing about men and like what it means to be a man. Like, how did that all come about? I suppose. Like, what was the catalyst for you to start talking about it?
1: Yeah, so I started my podcast in twenty eighteen, um, and that was off the back of me having a book podcast with two of my friends. So I had always been interested in um, mental health and wellness, and I, I was a journalist. I worked. On several newspapers, and I was a lifestyle reporter and writer for a while, um, and I started kind of really dallying into what that looks like. Um, you know, what we could, what this kind of stuff we do. I covered things like sound baths and um, you know dating apps and all these other stuff that was going on. And then what I found was that when I worked on one paper, um, there was a huge section for women. There was a huge section, um, and I was like okay, cool. Like, so I'm in this paper. I've been in for a while. Let's see if I can, you know, get some men's stories in there. I think that knowing who I am and the kind of stories I like to write and the kind of person I am, um, it'll be good to try and get some men's perspectives on some things, get some men's perspectives on some trends, kind of make it a bit more urban, younger, um, and really tap into like mental health and wellbeing and really just, you know, figure out a new landscape for that. Um and I was equivocally, unequivocally shut down and just said, no. And I was like, huh? They're like, it is for women, it will always be for women, and that's it. There was no additional funding for pages. There was no, there was a lot of, oh, probably in the future, there could be sort of thing. There was all of that. Then when I looked at the, when I looked across at uh, British newspapers, um, the only place that has a viable men's kind of section is the telegraph. And the telegraph for men is, um, like aimed at 50 to 60 year old men, who like cars, um, you know, Concerned about their prostate and, you know, very ver- veritable concerns, but not for like 28, 29, 30-year-olds who just are either in the middle of working, starting families, c- going into a new home. You know what I mean? It just wasn't the same. These are four more established men. Essentially, who are further along the journey, um, and that was the only thing. And then you have the magazines, which um, kind of blend in the two, but they are more—they are becoming less and less about men and more just about general lifestyle, with a man's face on the front of it as well. So it was kind of um, a challenge for me because I was thinking, so where are the stories? Where are the kind of where are the where are the where are the men like who like me who are super vulnerable and like emotionally aware and want to kind of really tap into what pe- people are feeling. like. Um, so yeah, that was kind of why I started the podcast. I wanted to really speak to people in the wellness industry and speak to that. And then over time it just became a conversation, um, uh, which became a bit more existential, but, um, I wrote my book, um, in 2020, it came out in 2021, um, in April and, Uh, And that was just off the back of me having had particular experiences with breakdowns, um, ideas, like um, questions around vulnerability, grief, and all that stuff that I was having between 2018 and 2020. And I wanted to get it all into a book. I wanted to speak to men about their stories and I wanted to put it out there. And I think, and that's kind of how I forayed into this kind of, place and it's not um and the thing is and the kind of work i do is not necessarily men's work it's just the work you know like i work with people regardless of where you are or who you are or where you've come from um and i find it so funny because you posted this <laughs> you posted um this this uh the clip from big mouth that I was just watched the episode yesterday uh, on Instagram. And it was, you know, the, you know, the men's group, the men's facilitation circles. And, um, you know, yeah, it's usually a big hurrah sometimes, you know, you go to the desert and then you, you kind of absorb all of these kind of masculine energies and you, and all this different stuff. And it's very important work, but at the same time, that's not necessarily the work I do. I do men's groups, but, um, and I have done men's groups, but I'm, very much about kind of like just tapping into conversations and making sure conversations happen. And, um, and yes, I've been on the receiving end of some cry, some tears, um, and some, you know, very physical, um, reactions to stuff and, you know, revelations and things of that nature. And especially as I delve into my psychotherapeutic training, it's kind of like working in that way too. But, um, it's just some important work, man. There are so many people that need to have these conversations that we're just not having. Um, that's just kind of where I'm at right now, too. So yeah, that's kind of how I how I stumbled into this. I actually had no plans to be here, but here I am. Um, I mean, I studied languages at uni and I was a journalist for five years. This is not. This is this is so far from the from the path I thought I was going to be on. Yeah, sure.
0: Um, yeah, it took a bit of a hard turn
1: yeah like a, a very sharp left onto onto the freeway or something but yeah. yeah
0: i i like what you're like what you just brought up then which is um and yes i haven't really spoken too much into this because i i still am in the like men's work men's group community that and a lot of those facilitators are big believers in going out into the desert or going out into the wilderness and rewilding and doing these retreats and things like that. And like, yeah, I see value in those. Um, but, and maybe maybe it's not a but, maybe it's an and. And also, I think there's a lot of value in going to therapy, talking, having conversations, like doing day-to-day stuff rather than, or maybe in addition to like going out to those Retreats and those immersions and the, those rewilding kind of experiences because those things are, are they're fantastic and they are they big cathartic experiences. But then also it's like okay, well, how do you bring that back to everyday conversations and how are you showing up in the house? And you know, I, I've I've got this draft um, post for my my social media, which is like the the tagline of it's going to be something along the lines of like fellas do you need to go to another men's retreat or do you need to do some more housework? And, um, you know, kind of speaking into the division of labor in a lot of like heterosexual relationships and, um, how a lot of women are, uh, kind of bearing the brunt of that. And, and, you know, so the guys really need to go out and do like another eight day immersion and leave their, their wife at home with the kids, or do they need to, you know, integrate what they've learned and actually show up a bit more in the domestic kind of realm, um, so yeah, it's a it's it's a yeah. So I, I just wanted to speak into that man because you just prompted my my thought process there when you said that. It's definitely a good point that you
1: bring up with that as well. And it's it's each to each to own needs, right? It is what you need. If you need to be around and I think it's important, if you need to be around men, that's an important thing. You need to be around them. And however you show up in that space is important. And for me, I would love to, I would go on a, on a rewilding retreat. That is just something that I would do. It's not something that I ne- would necessarily facilitate. Um, but I would go on one because I'm just, I'm curious. I want to, I'm a, I'm a man and I want to be around men's stories and I want to hear and I want to feel and I want to reach in and lean into that um, as well. But I do like that comparison, you know, you know do you need to go to a men's, retreat or do you need to do the housework and that's something that um it is it, about priorities and i think that that's something. and i think that you know we spend a lot of time trying to run away from our priorities and i say we being the general kind of population we tend to not want to do things because it's hard um or it's an ego driven thing um you know and yeah
0: Really interesting yeah. uh, i'm curious man like why you think that the um you know magazines and newspapers like when you were working there didn't have or didn't you know kind of want to have a let's say men's section i suppose or you know wanted to kind of fund men's stories and, and writing into that like what do you think is the reason behind that
1: I think it's the same reason that you go into a um, a department store or shop, say H&M or Zara or something, and you walk in and men's department's either two floors down or three floors up. Um, it's not something that is commercially viable for a lot of people, unless they are high ticket items. Men don't buy things unless they're high ticket items. They don't tend to anyway. They're very, very specific about the brands that they buy and, um, and buy into. If they have Gillette, they've had Gillette for years. It's not going to be just a random thing that they buy tomorrow, today, whenever, um, the case is slightly different for women, um, on the consumption basis but i think that i think that all of these things can be changed i think that these things can be altered if you create the space for them to change i don't think that we should be running around and all of what i've just said was said to me um um but i've of the opinion you know that All of these things can change. We can create new narratives and new ideas for things. We don't necessarily have to continue staying with the status quo. Um, I started a column and I was on the metro.co.uk. It was called Men Talk Health. And um, while it was great that I did it, and it was amazing because because men were really being vulnerable about their diabetes, about their penis cancer, about their... um, different you know multiple cirrhosis how they kind of overcame that grief all of that stuff um it was so readily ended that it was um quite saddening that they didn't want to continue with it because i was like well these are things that i'm learning about you know like you know raising awareness around prostate cancer and all of those things all the things that i'm kind of I'm um, learning about as I'm talking to these men and there is a public need and a public good for these things, but you've made it so clear that you just don't want to have to bother with it because of traction or, um, it doesn't go viral enough or all of those things. That's just the online space. Um, and then when you're on the offline space, so print and things like that, it's like, it just costs money that, you know, people can make sense of women's pages. Uh, they just can't make sense of men's pages. And we're just in a we're just in a time where um men's stories are only so only slowly starting to kind of seep out into the mainstream, you know, with the release of Will Smith's book coming out. We've had David Hare with the actor's book coming out, you know, we've got John Winan's book coming out, we've got, you know, things are just slowly the big names are slowly writing stories around their psychosis around what it means to be a man around their experiences with, you know, suicide and mental health and things like that. So we only hope for the future I've still been putting out there kind of just been trying to push these things, um, these ideas, but like I'm, um, I'm positive and and that's, and that's basically what was, what I think, and what has been, what was told to me really. Um,
0: so yeah. Yeah. I, I resonate with that, man. And, you know, it's something that I've noticed or like come up against, particularly when I've been on like other people's podcasts, specifically podcasts that are like more geared to women and that are about women's sexuality, women's pleasure. When, um, like when they promote and they say, Hey, we've got Cam coming on. He's going to be talking about like men's sex and men's pleasure and like, you know, masculinity. There's almost like if, you know a subgroup of people that go who fucking cares like like why why do we need to talk about men's sexuality men have been centered for for so long like why do we you know what's the point kind of and um and like i get it i get where that like mentality and that attitude kind of comes from um and i often like reply when that gets brought up um you know on on the podcast or wherever i'm talking with like I guess like with the utmost compassion like men are the people that need this work the most. You know what I mean? Like we're we're kind of like the demographic of people that that need the the sexuality work, that need the the vulnerability work that um you know and and it's not because it's it's not about necessarily centering like the male experience, but it's like look what <laughs> not taking it seriously and look what like the way that we've talked about maleness and masculinity for the last kind of couple of hundred years has brought about, you know, like look at the way we've, um, we've fucked things up essentially, like some of the things we've done. So um, my kind of mission, I suppose is like to speak into that with compassion and with um, you know, nuance as well. I think so many things like there's so many stereotypes when it comes to like what it means to be, I know you, you talk about this a lot. It's like what it means to be a real man. And so a lot of guys feel like they need to live up to those unspoken kind of set of rules. And, um, and so like my, my whole intention, I suppose, with the work that I do with my own podcast is to speak into Kate like, hey, is like, is that the case? Do, can we challenge that? Is there other ways of expressing your masculinity? Is there other ways of like expressing your masculinity and sexuality? And I think there's a, a big intersection between those two two things. So, Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've noticed, man, is, is like, in terms like why, why there isn't these, you know, uh, conversations or why there isn't these people taking interest is because there's kind of like a bit of a, who cares? I
1: think it's at the stage. That's why I was like, it's
0: an interesting time because
1: I can understand why people of particular minority and oppressed groups are going to feel the same way. I mean, I've heard the similar things for, um, between you know black and white people. It's like, well, who cares about you know, white women's understanding of racism? Like, why are we centering white women? Or why are we centering white people around racism? Um, who cares about straight people's experience with sex, sexuality, right? We need to be speaking to queer people. We need to be doing that. Um, and I just like, and I get it. I absolutely do get it. It just means that we just have to approach these things with, a, with, a, with an air of um, I think that Brene Brown says strong backs wild front or strong backs soft fronts, sort of thing, you know? And it's kind of understanding that, yeah, okay, I understand my position as a man in this space and what that looks like. And if I'm going onto a women's podcast or platform to speak about men's work, I have to be aware that that is something that is going to come at me because I don't know what experiences these women have experienced. I don't know what experiences these people have experienced um, at the hands of men on a day-to-day basis or who they know that has had that and whatnot. And for some people, it might not even be directly men. It just might be things that they've heard or things that they feel that they should be a part of or should be saying sometimes. Um, And that's why I'm always open to these conversations. I'm always open to seeing kind of where people are coming from with stuff because I completely understand it. I completely understand that voices don't always get heard and people aren't always believed or um you know, or in that nature. So yeah, like but as you say, these conversations need to be had and they will continue to be heard. And I think it's just maintaining resolute in in that. You know? Um and it can be disheartening for a lot of people. But this is kind of why we do this you know, we don't put ego like that in the front of in front of things in that in the same way. It's hard, and I know that that's part of the work. It's kind of just saying, okay, cool, I get it. Um, but this is what I'm doing. This is the message that I'm bringing because I want to make it better for you, for us, for all of us that are here. I want to make I want to make sure that there is a a man who is able to have these conversations and not shut people down. I want to make sure that when it's, so in your case is what you said, you know, like I want to make sure that men are having conscious sex with, well, straight men are having conscious sex with women and I want to make sure that men are having better sex with their partners and I think that's something that's really important um, as well because ultimately that just makes for happier people and that just makes for longer relationships you, you would think. So, I don't think that's important. So for me personally, it's all about making sure that Men are like emotionally safe because when men are emotionally safe, that means the women and children and people around them are emotionally safe because they can communicate those things. And we then kind of make happier families. I think that's just me in my little ideal, idealistic like little cul-de-sac utopic for world just over there in like picket fences and everybody looks like me dick and jane sort of thing but like you know that's just kind of I I I, I cling to that I cling to that because it just makes sense to me mm.
0: it does make it makes sense to me as well man like I have this like philosophy or theory or just personal belief that like if we change things at the like microcosmic level so if i can help men change their relationship with themselves and kind of like open up to their own vulnerability and like emotions and and learn to tap into that at that kind of like at the microcosmic level, then that'll impact then their relationships with their family that will then impact their relationships with their community that then will impact their relationships with like their larger and broader society that will impact their relationships with, you know, people from the rest of the world and we'll see things change at a macrocosmic level. For sure. I
1: mean, I I read like um, a stat recently where um, it just said like it only takes 10% of men to change rape culture, 10% of men. And that's what, uh, if you look at, you know you said, microcosmically. If, if you look at you and your community and like with your friends, your family, and you kind of make a change in the stance and kind of make sure that, you know, you don't take any shit from people and make sure that, you know, you know, calling out, you know, particular attitudes and behaviors, Um. It just means be able to stand in that space and say, "This is kind of what I stand for, and this is not what." I, and I'm I'm learning, but I know that I want you to do better. So I'm gonna kind of tell you, like, or show you what that what that is. Why I'm doing that, so that we can create this change. And then hopefully that becomes a domino effect, and then maybe like you know, can said this to me, and I'm going to try to be better it depends you know depends on the relationship they want to be better so they're going to kind of embark on their own challenges with doing that with other people and i think the more that we can kind of have these conversations the more that the men's work can kind of grow and the and you know you know therapeutic practices and you know communication can happen we can actually grow to have these conversations and be better and that needs to go as far as leadership of this country or, well uk anyway you've seen our prime minister. So it's kind of like when, when I look at some of the stuff that he is in, is exhibiting. And I recently saw a clip, um, and I think a reporter from CNN was asking him questions. And she's a woman, and they're of the same age, and probably if not older than him. And she's asking him direct questions about policy and about attitudes and about this stuff. And he just looked like he was annoyed that a woman could ask him such a question. Ever, um, looking around like who didn't brief her all these different stuff about what she should be saying and all these different things, and I'm just like, and I'm just like, it's that kind of attitudes filtered down. That's a problem. And I even recently read an article this morning about the British Army, and they said they need to maintain lad culture to keep them aggressive and but also they want more women in the army so what does that do do we even need an army literally the uk is an island that needs to just focus on it being an island we are no longer in europe do you know what i mean like focus on being an island and stay out everybody's business and focus on a homeland for example and then that way what like what what, we're in peacetime what do you need? all of this for so it's kind of all of these questions i'm having because
0: i'm just like dude that's so interesting because i i often hear like from certain um uh, like male authority figures and men's work like they do men's work but not what i would consider healthy men's work i suppose that often say things along the lines of like um there's an agenda to feminise men. There's an agenda to make men less manly and less masculine. And I, I would hazard a guess and say they would, they would be the same people that would then go on to, to proclaim, oh, we need to make sure that you know men are staying aggressive and men are, you know, and men are still contributing and being part of lad culture and and part of that. So i'm I'm curious about that article, man, because it definitely speaks to like what I've heard I'll try, I'll, some of these I'll guys find it and send it'm yeah for sure so there's yeah, so I'd throw straight back at them Well, it sounds like there's an agenda to keep men aggressive and and like you said, do we need to do, we, do is that necessary like is that doing more harm than it is good, and do we actually need a military and things like that so that's that's quite interesting man
1: The, the binary is irritating, but um and I think and as we are you know fledgingly and growing into a more and more non-binary world. It doesn't, you know, people are trying, and I think if you try to hold on to something for so long, it's just going to end up crumbling in your hands, because it's just going to be like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not, it was unsustainable from the beginning and it's always going to be unsustainable because, you know, as they say about masculinity in a, in a sense is that it's rigid. Masculinity is rigid and femininity is fluid. If you're going to go down the way of the superior man theory, um, and is one's rigid and one's fluid, and but they only work well when they work together. So, if that's the case, let's just do that. <laughs> like. You know, men who you know who are so who are so you know caught up and pent up and holding onto their masculinity. If they just you know tapped in <laughs> to something that does it doesn't mean does it and when it comes to masculinity and femininity, men and women, doesn't mean you're becoming a man or becoming a woman. It just means you're tapping into your essence, really and truly. And I think that's it. And I think that's the one of the important things that we need to kind of really get in drill into.
0: You know the minds of people and the hearts yeah hey there thank you so much for listening to my podcast I hope you're enjoying this episode I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented. We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader and all of this amazing stuff. So, if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Uh, let's get back to this episode. Yeah, I often say that there's no such thing as masculinity because masculinity isn't monolithic; it isn't singular. Just- there's there's masculinities. There's there's it's multiple yeah. There's multiple expressions of like whatever you feel is masculine to you personally. If you express that, then that's masculinity for you. Similarly with femininity, right? It it, it as a monolithic singular thing doesn't exist, but it in its plurality and multiplicity and multifacetedness fa- facetedness is um, it, it exists right? It, it exists in all these different beautiful ways, and whatever that means for you is is true for you and how you express it, and like. That's something that I come up against when I when I work with men is like there's this idea of what it means to be a man. And if you don't prescribe to that particular unspoken set of agreements, then you're less of a man. You're not a real man. I know that's the language you use in your book is like, you know, real men do this, real men do that. Yes, and, the, and the myths. The yeah. myths. Yeah, the myth, totally. And yeah. I suppose like just based on the work that I've I've done, I've kind of identified my own things that quote unquote real men are, um, right? Or the mentality or the myths that we have around that. And I'm wondering, how did you come to the, I think you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six myths, right? And um, I was wondering, how do you how did you kind of identify those myths?
1: I had a long list of myths. Um, I had at least 50. Um, some of them fed into one another and duplicated themselves and did whatever. And my editor was like, okay, so we need six. And I said, there's 50. And she's like, we need things. <laughs> so uh, after, you know, a very stubborn back and forth, um, it was like, okay, fine. I will bend. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like, I, how did I come up with it? Um, I think I just tapped into some of the things that I'd heard growing up. So obviously one of the obvious myths on there is real men don't cry. That's the one that nearly most men have heard across their life. Um, another one is real men don't have any worries about their bodies. Um, I think I tapped into that because I consistently worry about my body all the time, but it's, it's more of a having the conversation around body image with men that we just don't have. um, Men shame a lot of men quite often. Um, men are the chief polices of other men. We police everything from behaviour to language to to physicality, to just general behaviour, Um, and not always police for the good behaviour. They police the behaviour that doesn't fit in with what they do. So that's kind of the kind of the, the weird thing with that. But. Um, So yeah, so that's the bodies one. And then there's, um, the failure one I am real men don't fail. And I, I struggled with failure quite a bit. I mean, I was in a talk yesterday and, you know, I spoke to some people and these guys were like, you know, it was just varying degrees of what failure meant to them. They, some went to university for the first time and they couldn't fail because if they failed, they'd be going back home and they would have to, you know, Beyond less money and all this stuff. And they just couldn't go back to that. Um, failing is the last option for a lot of men, you know, for me, I'm, I'm the oldest of four. So I was like, okay, I'm going to uni first. I'm getting the professional job first. I'm doing all of the, I'm doing a lot of the firsts and I've got to do the firsts well. So that people can see that there's stuff to do after. So they have the room to fail because they know what the bar is, you know, um, I was looking at it there. Um, but with, with the whole real men don't fail thing, my whole thing with that is talk about the failures. Don't let the failures just go to die somewhere. Don't present perfect. I presented perfect for far too long. And what that did was break me because it made me less compassionate to myself it made me you know, it made me quite hateful. Quite a hateful person. Um and I didn't like who I looked at, at in the mirror those days because I was just like, why is this not perfect? Why is it not a hundred percent why do I have to be um I can't be second rate. I need to make sure that I'm here above everybody else and winning and competing and doing all these different things. So that feeds into, you know, real men are winners and all this other stuff. So they all kind of fit into what I understood it meant to be a man. Um, and I was just kind of unpicking all of those, those, those six points to say, well, no, it doesn't it's like a book to myself really and truly because even when I had to read it for the audio book, I was like, Oh my God. Cause, um, I wrote it and then I d- recorded it. So I wrote it and left it for like six months because it just goes through a chain of copy editing and whatever. And then it comes back to you in this perfect little thing. And you're like, Oh my God, it's a book. Um, and then you get told to record the book for the audio. So now you've got to read it aloud from top to finish. And you gotta be like, Oh my gosh, this is what I said. This is what, I, this is what I'm saying to myself. What? And um, it was hard because I was like, because there were points where I'd slipped back into those kind of things. Obviously, now I'm writing a book. So the book has to be great. The book has to be perfect. The book has to be X, Y, Z. And if it's not, it means that you're a rubbish writer. It means that you've got nothing to say that's worth. It means that, you. you know what I mean? It, it, all of these things were kind of like mulling around my head and my heart because I was like, I can't, do what other people are doing um but so these are the things that are consistently going to prop up and come up in my life and i've had to accept that it's just about how i navigate
0: them going forward really yeah yeah thanks for sharing that man there's um yeah i resonate with all all of them and and like you said my my own list is probably like 50 Fifty items long as well, and um, and so I <laughs> I empathise with having to cut it down to six. Um, with the 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 ones that you've chosen, I, I think they're really really beautiful ones, man. And um, and I I like always think about how they relate to my own work um, and my own like the area of interest, which is sexuality. Uh, it's like the real men never fail um, myth, I suppose. And the way that I kind of reflect on that with regards to to sex is. Like sex has to look a certain way, right? For a lot of men, if and if it doesn't look a certain way, if they don't get an erection straight away, and if they don't penetrate their partner for a certain amount of time, and if they don't make their partner orgasm so many times, then they, you know, then they consider themselves a failure. They consider themselves like less of a man because of the fact that sex didn't meet this perfect idealized. Standard, I suppose that they might see in pornography or they might see in mainstream movies and TV shows, this kind of depiction of straight sex that a lot of men feel like they need to um, act out. And and a lot of guys feel like that the burden's on them as well with regards to sexuality. A lot of guys feel like they're the ones that are supposed to be the knowledgeable and um, assertive and dominant partner, because that's what it means to be a man. And if they acknowledge, like I think one of the reasons why it's, difficult for me to find many clients um, or reach many men is because as soon as they start learning something from me or as soon as they come and work with me um, in any capacity, at some level they're admitting to themselves that they don't know everything about sex and they aren't these all-knowing God's gift to women, um, you know, they, they aren't perfect right and so um, at, and at some level they've failed they've fa- failed themselves or failed their partners whatever failure kind of means to them so um, so I think there's a lot of resistance to guys doing sexuality work in particular because of that that myth for sure
1: um, it just reminds me of what, what you said about um, men knowing um, men always know us best for everybody don't they they don't need to tell anybody or they don't need to learn anything. They do not need to know anything. Um, and even when they are being taught something, it has to be flipped around to that. Oh, I knew that, but thanks for contribution to X, Y, and Z. And I think that's some bullshit. Um, and I've had to unlearn, I've had to unlearn a lot of that myself. Um, and the only, and the way that you do that is by just being vulnerable enough and humble enough to just say, okay, teach me something new Um, because how do you develop and grow as a person? If you just don't learn something, you know, you learn something new. I mean, if we knew everything, wouldn't that be boring? I would be bored. There's something, there's something amazing about seeing something that you've seen all the time but with a completely new perspective and fresh eyes. And then speaking to somebody about it. And getting them to see things with a new and fresh perspective. And that's beautiful. I don't understand why we resist that. Why do we resist that? Do yeah, you know? It's um, strange,
0: isn't it? Yeah. yeah, um,
1: And I, so I read I've been I read a lot of like feminist texts because I need to know how I'm showing up in this space because, you know, and I read Rebecca Solnit's men explain things to me book and that was sent to me like years back. Um, and I hadn't read it. And there was somebody that told me to read it really passionate about me reading this book. And I was like, uh, why am I going to do that? I was very much at the base. Base part of my journey. I probably hadn't even started on the on the trek. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, ugh, yeah. um And then I literally was like, I need to know more, and I need to learn more, and I need to do better. And I was just going through my library in my in my room with all the books, and I was like, I'm going to read this book because the person that told me about this book was impassioned about it, and if they're impassioned about it, I'm going to be impassioned about it too. And I read it, and I learned some things, and I learned a lot about how men explain things to women and the kind of arrogance that they have um when we when we start when you know when we're not integrated and we have this really weird kind of paternalistic idea of what it means to teach a lesson yeah you
0: know i even rather see than that inquiring like even the the reverse side of things of like who is like if you're going to if you're going to learn something like a lot of guys default to other men to learn something as opposed to listening to a, a woman teach something. And so, and I noticed this in like the, the sexuality professional space where a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the, key people in this space are women. I'm, I'm one of the, the, um, you know, uh, the fewer men, I suppose, doing this particular work. And, um, and so like, it's interesting seeing how guys, will re- respond and react to something that I teach, which a woman has been teaching and how they'll like maybe pay a bit more attention because I'm, whether it's because I share a lived experience with them or whether it's just the simple fact that I'm a guy, it kind of lands a bit different for them. Um, so I've I've also noticed that like the reverse is true. Like when you're also like l- learning something, it's it it a lot of guys need it to come from a guy. They don't want to hear it from a woman. For sure. And I just imagine it's
1: because women, and I think it's, women have been, quote unquote, allowed to explore and express sexuality when, you know, it is a very masculine and feminine thing. It's a a very kind of, you know, both things work together to create the ultimate, you know, thing. (laughs) Um, And um, it's like, and, you know, it's just the idea that sex gets done to women, and men do sex, you know, and, I, and that's kind of, and it's such shame. So when a woman is teaching a man about sex, they're like, why are you teaching me about it? You know, and it's just all of that stuff. And I just think to myself, you know what? <sighs> we just need to do better. <laughs> we just need to do better and just listen, man. But yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I wanted to speak into uh, Real Men Alone Lone Wolves, which is like number six on your- um- man myths uh, list in your book. And I was wondering if you were able to... I got a couple of, like, curiosity questions just following my own curiosity around it. But what do you mean by uh, lone wolf, like lone wolfing it?
1: You know, the idea of a lone wolf doesn't make sense, does it?
0: Yeah, right, because wolves aren't... they, they run in packs, right? <laughs> wolves, so, like, yeah, there are no lone wolves. Are, wolves are
1: pack animals. And they always find their way back to the pack. That's yep. just... That's just the, as the jungle, we could say, the law <laughs> of the jungle. <laughs> um, they always find their way to the pack. They honor the pack. That's the pack. Um, I think that we have a huge um, culture of individualism. Um, each man onto their own and every man for themselves is something that we are taught routinely. uh you know as a as an idea as an ideology um in the west um in the west extending not only to the UK and USA but to Canada Australia New Zealand and those areas we've taught that men do things alone we we carry the burden we get the promotion, we are self-made millionaires. We are all of these different things because we did it by ourselves and we only probably, and we had our subservient spouse and our obedient kids behind us to help. That was it really. That was, that's basically what it was. Until it comes to sport, until it comes to war, um, it's all about your country needs you, be a team. It's all about that sort of stuff. And I just think it's very, it's a really strange kind of, what's the word? Dissonance that we have. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm very much of the opinion that we are a collective species. We are a communal species. Um, we work better together than we do alone. I think that when everybody pulls their weight um, in a community, things get done um, goals get achieved. If you save as a group of 10 people, um, you can actually achieve quite a lot with regards to money, for example. Um, you know, and I think that, and and that's, and that's an important, that's, a, that's an important bit. And I think we just, we just need to stop kind of selling this idea that it's lonely at the top and all of this stuff because, um, it's damaging and it's dangerous. And, uh, it also kind of came from the I the understanding that men not the understanding, the observation that men don't have friends. Um I was I spoke to Justin Baldoni on my podcast about his book Brave Enough, Man Enough, sorry. And um I was watching some of his videos and he spoke to a specialist about, you know, male, female relationships. And there was something that the specialist said around, um, maintaining relationships in a heterosexual family in a heterosexual marriage in a family about maintaining relationships. And he basically said that women hold the familial relationship of the family. And I just paused the video for a bit, um, obviously, because I'm, I'm a very interactive person. So I paused it and said, what do you mean by that? Press play again. <laughs> um, and he was like, yeah, they hold, they'll you know, they be the ones to sort the birthday parties out. They'll be the ones to do the Christmas cards to get people to, to send it out to family friends. They'll be the ones to speak to family friends and family friends come and visit. You know, if it's, I don't know what your experience is, but from what I'm seeing, um, you know when it comes to birthday parties or what first birthday party second birthday parties it's usually the wife or partner that is taking the family to this thing and then the fathers kind of like stand over there and they just or they kind of like integrate one another in that sense but it's never usually led by the father to go and to go and do that um so it's always quite interesting um what that looks like the in the real interesting bit was when i was researching the book for the, for my book, um, with that, what happens when men divorce or become widow was, um, and what they lose and when men divorce, they tend to lose obviously access to their kids. If they have them, the access is reduced depending on the kind of divorce they have and what, what kind of happened, but they tend to lose the access to their child. Um, and they tend to lose the family relationships. So the friendships built together tend to stay with the partner or the wife, um, in that sense. Um, So men tend to lose that kind of structure or that kind of status of husband and family man and all these other things. And um, that brings a lot of shame. That brings a lot of um, loneliness and that leads you into a lot of different addictions and different kind of spirals that go down if you don't have the right type of mechanisms to kind of help you get through that. Um, So I say all that to say that When it comes to men and relationships and men and friendships and whatnot, I think it becomes even more important for men to start to build those kind of friendships over time. So they have their own friendships and they can have their own environments and their own communities that they can then bring to the family because they like so they can merge it together. And I don't think it's fair for one half of the family to kind of hold all those relationships together. You know and it's just and um, you know i think it should be an equal kind of waiting and whatnot um and i kind of on the broader spectrum like you know kind of going down various routes where the lone wolf kind of idea came from because it's no fun doing this life alone
0: yeah 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 i feel that man and um you know i reflect on my own like journey with regards to male friendships and if I like look back 10 12 years ago a lot of my friendships were quite like I mean firstly revolved around alcohol like that was a big part of my male friendships was just booze related um, but also they were quite surface level like they never really went very deep um, you know have the odd deep and meaningful conversation after you know uh, a night out of drinking and then wake up in the morning and not even remember what you talked about um but it was for the most part revolved around sports a lot of my friends were on the soccer team that i was you know the football team that i was a part of um they were like like people that i did act with for the most part they were like part of the like yeah like sporting teams and um i was part of like a uh yeah, martial arts as well. So just another sport, essentially just sport. My mates were just people that I was just around because um, I played a lot of sport with them. And then I kind of went on my own journey of personal development and lost a lot of those friends. Um, and I lost them because they just didn't want to go down the same pathway with me. And I wanted to you know, talk about certain things. I wanted to open up a bit more. I, I didn't want to drink as much. And um, And so that group of men that I was hanging out with ended up I ended up drifting away from them and there was a period of isolation. There was a period of loneliness. There was a period of like, oh fuck, I've got to learn how to make new friends and I've got to put myself out there and actually, you know, heal my wounding around my relationship with men Um, because I felt very ostracized and very um, like bullied. Like a lot of like male friendships are based on taking the piss out of one another. And like, it was just, like very hard for me for a couple of years there to like really settle into new friendships with men. And, um, and now I've got a beautiful community of guys that I, that I really love and um, am inspired by and, and yeah, want to connect with um, that doesn't revolve around alcohol. Thank goodness. Um, but I think like a lot of, there's a lot of fear for guys to open up and to look for friends and to try and make friends. Cause there's like two fears here is like the fear of if I start to do that, then my mates who I have, you know, now kind of similar to myself, who's, you know, this kind of surface level friendship revolves around booze. They're going to make fun of me for wanting something more. And then also the fear of like, fuck, I've got to open up. And if I'm looking for deeper connections, then I've got to also be that deeper connection that I'm looking for. And I've got to model that and show that and kind of lead with that. And that's a scary thing for a lot of guys to do. So, I think like the there's a couple of things there like that factor into this idea of being a, you know, a, an island. You know, no man's an island. Where a lot of guys kind of treat themselves as islands, um, and I think those two things kind of play into it. They did for me at least, anyway.
1: Yeah, I had, I had a similar journey with friends. I think we're similar ages, aren't we? Um, yeah, and it's like, yeah, I had to kind of get rid of certain friends because it just wasn't. Navigating, But what I had to do was I had to open up room for conversations like the ones that we're having. And in order to open up room for those conversations was to actually kind of remove the things that were blocking it. Um, I don't drink that much anymore, personally. Um, I love having deep conversations. I connect deeply or not at all. I just kind of just that guy, like I will... I would go for the small talk if I have to. It's awkward. I don't like it, but I try not to stay stay too long in that realm. I'll probably be kind of end up quite going quite deep, and not pe- not many people like that. But the friends I do have and the people conversations I've been having recently, and the places I end up invite me to have those conversations and talk deeply about things and think deeply, and, um, and that's just kind of what I've had to just accept about me I've had to create space for new friendships I'm open to new friendships all the time it's just I know I need to know what kind of I just know what kind of friends I want um you know and it's not about that kind of what can you do for me in that material sense it's if I'm down out who am I who's holding me up like who am I holding up when they're down like what does you know what, do, what does that look like for each of us in this space. So, um, and that's the kind of understanding that I've had to really come to terms with because I'm not that guy to be cliquey or to have like, you know, necessarily just kind of a band of brothers generally, but I find myself in pockets of different groups. Um, and I learn from different people all the time. And I think that's the kind of, for me, that's just the beautiful thing about friendships because you can kind of learn from one another and connect people to different things and kind of see things from a different perspective and really learn, you know.
0: Mm. Yeah, I um, I like what you said before about um, the way that we are conditioned in society is to be like there's a real drive for the individual, right? Where especially as men taught to be individualistic and you, you know, make it on your own and you don't ask for help and you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you, you know, you you clean your room and you, you know, you, you kind of like do things alone and you're like, I kind of see that play out in, I mean, I don't want to get too political, I suppose, but like in the way that we, in the way that we vote for certain political figures as well and, and authority figures is like these men that present like as the strong man, as like the authoritarian, the guy who like doesn't need any help, who is, you know, he's the one making the tough decisions and he alone is like the, the person that's taking charge. And it's just like, we, you know, we, we have this conditioning in society and then we project that and conditioning onto people that we, that are our leaders. And then when we, So, if we get a leader who maybe isn't that, who's a little bit more community-oriented and who is more focused on, like, not projecting that strong man kind of personality or persona, then oftentimes in, you know, certain spaces online in particular, that person's kind of mocked for being, like, weak or for being, like, too effeminate or for being whatever, for not being a real man, essentially. So, I definitely see, like not only at that kind of like the everyday level, but also then in the way that we um we think about leadership and, and authority as well. Yeah. Yeah,
1: for sure. It's top down. It's top down stuff. Um if we if we saw the representation of what kind of men we wanted to be on TV in actual real life positions. Who's to say? Like, who knows what kind of what kind of people we would we would end up becoming? I know there's going to be the small fraction of society who just be like, "Oh, he's not X, Y, and Z," or blah blah blah. But you know, what
0: yeah, can you do? yeah, fighting for representation, man. That's something that I'm big on. Is like media analysis and just like breaking down what we see on telly, um, because it's, I mean, yeah, it's it's super impactful. At least in my opinion, anyway. Um, Yeah, well, I'm. uh, I I am. I'm really mindful of time now, man. I I suppose I want to close this down by asking you for uh, a nugget of advice or a nugget of wisdom for men that are listening who are maybe feeling that they do need to have some conversations. They do need to go and do some of this work, and they need to, you know, they resonate with what we talk about, and um, you know, they don't know where to start. What's a What's a good place for them to to kind of begin that journey? (laughs) My book time to yeah. talk, <laughs> time um, to talk.
1: Yeah. Think about love belonging and connection so i'd say head there the audio book is just my voice so if you like how i sound then you're gonna hear I'm the gonna, same thing
0: i'm gonna shamelessly say that i love how you sound by the way brother i Thank am a big fan much. and um I'll, I'll invest in the audio book for sure if i can listen to your smooth sultry voice for a couple of hours <laughs> then i'm good to go People always say this. I'm just like, okay,
1: this is great, but where is the radio show? Where is it? <laughs> like, like, I hear it like five or six times a month or something, and I'm like, okay, so where is the radio show? Let's make it happen. Uh, it's, it's why I started the podcast, to be honest. Um, but, and then, so yeah, head over to the podcast. Time to talk with Alex Holmes. I host a podcast which explores these questions about what it means to be human, and I speak to just amazing guests around yeah, you've had that. Some beautiful guests, man. Yeah yeah and um what else oh yeah keep get in touch with me if you want to get some coaching um yeah i'm i'm your biggest fan that's basically the kind of coach i am i'm just your biggest fan i'm all the way through (laughs) so uh yeah like let's um do some work together and yeah, just check just check out my stuff. You go to alexholmes.co, Just head there and make a decision of whatever you want to do. Um, I'm not great at marketing, so I'm just I'm just like just see what you like and uh,
0: um, and partake. But yeah, yeah, beautiful day. Well, I'm glad that I could. Um signal boost you platform you you know just feature you on my humble little show um i am super inspired by your podcast mate and your book and um yeah just just very um Whenever I've, I've got a guest on whose book I've read, I kind of like have a bit of a fanboy moment and be like, oh my God, I've got the, they're the author. I've got their book. Like, oh, it's, it's very cool. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of experiencing that a little bit at the moment, which is, um, yeah, I'm just very humbled to have a chat with you, dude. I, I really love your work. And like I, I said this off air, but I love the compassion that you bring to this work as well. I think it's very necessary. So oh, thank you so thank much for you. setting no, aside some time,
1: man. No, thank you for holding space like this. This is uh, it's an amazing privilege and amazing honor to be joining you here um
0: and you know keep it going yeah (laughs) thanks man i appreciate the encouragement hey there thank you so much for listening to this episode of the men sex and pleasure podcast if you find value from this content then i encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my patreon account You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So, like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.